Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine, you're tuned to 102.73 triple R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Cade Mouse. Hi, Cade. Oh, given the circumstances, I'm doing pretty well, Bron. Excellent. I'm appreciating everything in my local suburbs a hell of a lot more. Yeah. I've really got to know the place a lot better. And one of those things, you know, just like it's the way your mind sort of wanders. I was watching a construction site, so they're putting up some apartments. And it reminded me, it's kind of like a, um, whether it's an ant nest or bees creating a hive, there are so many workers buzzing in and out of these places and they've all got their particular little role and together they create these amazing complexes. They might be considered a blight on our skyline and all the rest of it, but the actual work that goes into it was quite phenomenal and the coordination, the cooperation that gets it done. And these are the places my mind are wandering to in my daily walk. <laughs> Thanks amongst others but i'm doing well excellent i'm <laughs> yes. oh, very pleased to hear it yes. um thank you very much tim for your three hours of vital bits and um no soulful bits this morning we did hear some paul kelly who uh who whose gorgeous music i took as being my soulful bit mm. for the morning we did and a bit of tim tom waits just for a, tim to mix it up a little bit yeah. it's unusual to hear tom waits on tim's show <laughs> 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 You're so funny, Kate. Uh, it was good. He's been a staple in our household every weekend. It's at a, that's how I know the weekend yeah. is here. You turn on Triple R and 
Tim's there and you're like, oh, okay, it's Saturday finally. Yeah. Because it's a bit like that sort of Groundhog Day feeling. And one of the greatest um, benefits of being, uh, you know, leading this different life that we're leading at the moment is having an opportunity to, this sounds like a gratuitous plug and hey, maybe it is, but um, to just to listen to Triple R all day, every day, um, and how wonderful it is. Oh, my consumption has gone through the roof and the on-demand function is just fantastic and you know we know it's april amnesty at the moment and everyone's been putting the call out and look and i think the best thing about triple r there's no pressure here we understand that so many people are doing it tough at the moment and just listen and enjoy there's don't feel guilty but if you're able to help us in any way shape or form please jump on board and do it that's right online please because there ain't no one here to answer the phones. <laughs> there ain't. <laughs> um, let's go through today's program. And, uh, le- well, actually, yours is our first guest. Kate. Yeah, I do. So I got Elliot Skanes from the University of Sydney. There was a um, paper published just recently about estuaries uh, heating up twice as fast as the ocean. So for me, it was just one of those things. It's like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Mm. So I think that's where often a lot of good science, when you see it, you're like, oh, can't believe I didn't ask that question earlier. But the interesting thing is, so it's data that was collected on the New South Wales coast. And I'll leave uh, listeners with something to ponder about before we get to his interviews. How many estuaries do you think there are in New South Wales? Hmm. So I'll let I'll save it for Elliot to tell us. Um, the number sort of blew me away. And I've worked in New South Wales for many years. But uh, so they had samples from every single estuary on the New South Wales coast, water temperature wow. and pH samples over 12 years. Yeah. And this was their data sort of put together there'd telling the story. To be, there'd have to be at least 40 or 50, I would have thought. Oh, look, let's leave everyone right. hanging on that one. But yeah, he'll be up to talk about his research. <laughs> okay. Depends on what defines an estuary too. He'll be up to explain that yeah, too. Yeah, nice. Yes. Okay. Um, we are then going to – we're actually jumping around all over the place. So we're going from Sydney to Torquay, speaking with uh, Rachel Parker, who is the founder of a wonderful program called Ocean Mind, connecting young people experiencing mental health issues with the ocean. Obviously, you know, the group activities involved with that are um, part of the great pause that we're all experiencing at the moment. And so um, being innovative, like so many people are – Rachel has uh, come up with a a really nice online alternative called Drop-In and that was launched this week. So we're going to speak with Rachel about that. Then we are jumping from Torquay to Perth. Um, So from Sydney to Torquay to Perth and we're going to be speaking with Grace Russell. She is a current PhD student and she's measuring humpback whales as part of her PhD research. So she's got a very long tape measure, is that what you say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is how the press release came through. It was like, so how would you go about measuring a whale? Um, So we're going to ask Grace about that and the context of why she's measuring whales. Like, What is the significance of understanding not just their length, presumably, their their girth, I suppose you'd call it, uh, and, uh, and what it means. Fantastic. Mm. And so she's based in West... So she'll be up early this morning. Yes. That's good of her, isn't it? PhD student as well. I guess she wouldn't have been out partying last night. No, that's right. Well, maybe online party. Yeah, true. Yeah, Yeah. having a few online drink sessions with a few of my mates. I'm a victim of that occasionally. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then Jeff Maynard, he's joining us for a sound waves like no other. We're paying um, tribute to the great and very sadly late Tim Brooke Taylor. We've momentarily paused our 2020 Soundwave Saves the World for um, Soundwave's self-isolates in a lighthouse. 
So I don't know if you're aware uh, of yes, this particular I do. episode. I've, goodies was a staple in our household. There are actually three very obviously marine-themed episodes of the goodies. So um, I'm hoping we can actually cover all of them through sound waves over the next few months. So you've had some good homework. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're actually preceding that with a great track, which we won't announce just yet. Oh. You can do the honours, Cade, when it comes around to that. Yep. No, that's it. I'm just leaving it there. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Um, and uh, other than that track, all the tracks that we're playing on Radio Marinara throughout April are tracks that we've been hearing on other great Triple R shows throughout the course of the week, maybe sneaking in a day or two before that week. But um, I've got some crackers this week. Oh, as as always. Yeah. As always. Uh, shall we have a little weather forecast? Let's. So uh, when you're out there doing your exercising cause, or grocery shopping, you want to know whether it's going to be raining. Keeping your 1.5 metre distance or doing your very best. Yeah. It's like bloody dodgeball sometimes. Have you found that? I actually suggested that we everyone dresses up as Tweedledee and Tweedledum and puts those hoops <laughs> around them. Therefore, <laughs> you're going to be forced to keep that distance. Or the nudibranch suits. Maybe we should dig those out. Oh, that could work, yeah. yeah. Um, just a hula hoop that sort of suspended around you. Yeah. There's like a halo effect, I guess. But today, we're going to get to a top of 18, mostly sunny, so it's going to be a lovely day. Tomorrow, we've got early rain, then showers, so we're actually going to have a bit of rain. And look, given this sort of current circumstance, I love when it rains. It, you actually feel good about being inside when it's sort of pouring outside out there. And then for the rest of the week, we've got some beautiful autumn weather. So Tuesday, top of 21, Wednesday, 20, Thursday, 23, Friday, 21, and Saturday, 22, with sort of very little rain or chance of rain over that period. So we've got some lovely weather that are coming up, so... Know, time your your breaks and your outside adventures when um, other people aren't doing is my advice. Excellent. I've got a quick news item, and then I believe you do as well. Yep. yep. So speaking of things that we can do while we're in this different state of life, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium uh, every day through their Facebook page just popping up little little bits of um, live footage from the live cams that they have set up all around their aquarium, and. Some of the footage that they're posting is it's quite meditative. You can just sit there and watch it for a while, and it's of course you know nothing's as good as the real thing actually being out there. But but this is um this is just as good. So they have a coral reef cam where you can um, follow busy tropical fishes in their Iviva Baja Life on the Edge exhibit. They have a jelly cam that jelly cam is actually my favourite. So you can just sit there and watch sea nettles drifting and pulsing in their aquarium set up, Monterey Bay Aquarium. I've not been there. Um, I know Anthony has. No, I've been there as well. That is yeah. pretty spectacular. So you the can jelly displays, amazing. as you said, mesmerising. Yeah. yeah, I think they have one of the world's, George Matsumoto, one of the world's experts in jellies yeah. there, yeah. So, um, yes, you can just sit there and watch jellies. How <laughs> lovely. You can um, – I might get my cats to do that. You can <laughs> – it <laughs> could be interesting. Uh, kelp forest cam. I was watching this one the other day. So you can see sardines live, obviously, swirling and leopard sharks gliding through gently swaying kelp canopies. Um, and then they actually have a Monterey Bay cam, which is out there in Monterey Bay. You can um, look out for otters, birds and sailboats on Monterey Bay. So, oh, there's a moon jelly cam as well, um, a general open sea cam, a penguin cam. Well, you can watch penguins. Who wouldn't want to do that? And a shark cam. So. Yeah. Zeus Victoria also have a penguin cam at feeding time. They'll have a, I think they have Facebook streaming the feeding of the penguins at the zoo. That's so awesome. Yeah. So you've got that going on. So look, I've just got a quick bit of news. And so given the lack of activity outside, certain things are going to benefit. And one of those things that has benefited is the canals of Venice. So when you think of the canals of Venice, you think of these brown kind of 
tracks of water through the city. Photos coming out of there at the moment, there's crystal clear, beautiful water. You can see algae on the bottom, fish swimming around. And then people, you now the stories are coming out like, oh, when I was a kid, it used to be like this. I remember swimming in them. I used to be able to do all this. And people were going, oh, the water quality's improved. It's this, it's that. It's not, it's, it's the, the simplest, what is it, Occam's razor? The simplest explanation is one. You just don't have boats stirring up the bottom. No, that's, that's all right. it is. You've just the turbidity sort of basically all the suspended sediments dropped out. Yeah. And they have these beautiful clear canals. So it'll be interesting to watch people's reaction when things go back to normal and it starts to get muddied up. Yeah. There might be a lot more attention paid on the amount of wake boats are creating, the drafts of boats and things like that. It'd be, I think a lot of positive changes will come out of this. It becomes a value debate, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, yeah. Fascinating. Quick bit of good news. There's an article in Today's Age about um, pollution levels dropping. I think this one's been talked about fairly widely, but across the world how air pollution is plummeting and because of the fact that everything's just slowed down. So amazing. And we're joined on the line by, well, as long as technology is working, we're joined on the line by Elliot Skeynes, who's a postdoctoral research associate in the School of Life and Environmental Sciences at Sydney Uni. He loves marine invertebrates, you know, the creatures without a backbone, uh, but in my biased opinions, the most important and more interesting of our marine creatures. Apologies to Grace, who's going to be following, talking about whales. But anyway, Elliot was the lead author on a recent paper in Nature Communications titled Climate Change Rapidly Warms and Acidifies Australian Estuaries. Uh, the research has been covered highly in local press, but it was also picked up by China News, I found this morning when I was doing a bit of Googling. Uh, thanks for joining us, Elliot. How are you going today? Yeah, good, thanks. And um, I didn't know that about the China news, so that's interesting. There you go. You've gone international with it, particularly in China. There, You would have think they've had plenty to talk about given the circumstances. But look, before we get onto your paper, I just wanted to find a little about, out of a little bit about Elliot Skeynes, the, um, was it the person equipped with five senses who explores the world around him and calls this adventure science? That's right. I did my homework. I found your Instagram <laughs> account. <laughs> it seems like you enjoy having a good time and taking science with you wherever you go. What's sort of yeah, been, that's right. Hmm. What's been driving you? How did you get to this stage where you're now working at Sydney Uni? Um, well, yeah, like um, I suppose the journey goes way back to when I first started my science degree. Um, you know, out of school, I didn't really know what, what I was interested in and um, I always found science quite interesting and something that I was good at. So I, I pursued that and um, by the end of my degree, I was ready to go on and do some more research degrees and then one thing led to another and I, I did a PhD uh, mostly looking at um, the effects of climate change and other stresses on bivalves, like oysters especially. Um, and then, yeah, since I finished my PhD, I've taken on that sort of trajectory and um, followed uh, in marine biology and now looking at sort of climate change in estuaries. So my research is always focused around climate change. I think this is the, the sort of biggest issue in marine biology that we're facing at the moment. Um, and it's certainly something that interests me because, as I said, it is the biggest issue, but it's also something that is so multifaceted and can be, you know, interpreted in, um, in so many ways. Yeah, well... I guess that leads perfectly into the actual research that you had um, published recently. And I guess one of the more alarming bits of information that come out of it is that estuaries along the New South Wales coast have warmed by more than two degrees over the last 12 years. So my first question for you is, how did you get hold of 12 years' worth of data and who was collecting it? So the New South Wales government have operated an um, estuary monitoring program where they cover 
you know, nine, over 90% of the estuaries in New South Wales. So I think there's about 170 or 180 um, classified estuaries in New there South Wales. There you go. That was, I put it to the listeners earlier to try and guess how many. Bron guessed about 40 or 50. I knew it was more. Wow. That's... Elliot, that's amazing. I, I can't believe I underestimated by so much. Yeah, well, I mean, when we're talking about estuaries, we're talking about small lagoons, um, creeks, Anything where, the, you know, I'm not 100% on the classification because that's done by the geologist, but it's something like where, um, you know, the freshwater meets the ocean. And like I said, so there's quite a lot of estuaries, but in saying that, they've been managing to monitor 166 of those for the last 12 years, um, and not only monitoring them for temperature, but other things like uh, nutrients and um, some other sort of impacts that people may be having on estuaries. So... You know, just because of this monitoring program, we have this great data set. And I saw the opportunity um, because I knew about this data. Well, okay, so we're going to have 12 years' worth of temperature data. Let's take a look at that. Because I, as a marine biologist that mostly works on oysters and things that live in estuaries, we kind of had no access to how climate change was affecting estuaries. Um, like, I mean, we have really good information on how the oceans and how the atmosphere are being affected by climate change. But Nowhere in the world had anyone sort of quantified how this was happening in estuaries. And that was a little bit frustrating because I'm trying to do research on animals that live in estuaries and we don't really know how or how they will be affected in the future or even how they're being affected now. So, so Elliot, yeah, that, that, that two-degree temperature rise that you mentioned, is that an average? So I'm thinking there must be a huge... Um, variation in size and depth and uh you know interconnectedness um in in terms of what actually defines an estuary it's the meeting point of fresh water in the ocean there'll be some that are obviously massive and then there are others yeah. that are going to be small so does that two degrees sort of take into account all that all that variability yeah totally so the the two degrees is across all estuaries um but what we've done in the paper is that we've actually broken it down and obviously these are the sort of details that you don't get in the media but um, broken it down by estuary types. So according to some previous research done in New South Wales, there's basically five types of estuaries. You have creeks, which are really small, uh, lagoons, which are a little bit bigger than creeks and hold more water for longer. And then you have um, these things called back dune lagoons, which are kind of like groundwater-fed things behind beaches. And then you have rivers and lakes, which are the largest. So I'm not sure if um, you guys are familiar, but there's places in New South Wales places like Lake Macquarie, which are quite huge um, lakes, which are essentially have the salinity of seawater. So they're like a big inland sea almost, but not quite that large. So um, by doing that, what we could then do is look at how each of these types were responding differently. And we found, again, because they vary so much in their structure and their shape, these types were responding differently. So what we found is that lagoons, which are sort of not the smallest, but they're small, and they're quite shallow, they're warming the fastest. And we found that they're warming up to three and a half degrees over the last 12 years. Um, wow. But places like, places like lakes, which are quite deep, they actually showed no significant change. Wow. So I, I did actually look through your paper and I saw that sort of information in there. And the first thing that I guess um, I started thinking about and you've already sort of started touching on earlier is that implications for particularly things like the ones you love, the invertebrates in these areas. Mm -hmm. So obviously ones in the larger lakes um, aren't going to be experiencing any more stre stresses at the moment as a result of this. But ones that occur in these sort of smaller water... Has there been 
any sort of measure or is there any sort of ideas as to what some of the impacts might be from this? Yeah, certainly. So our research, like I said earlier, has mostly been focused on the animals that live in estuaries. Um, and we, myself and some colleagues of mine, we've spent a lot of time researching how the predicted effects of climate change. So what I said before about we don't really know what's going to happen in estuaries is right. So what we've been using is sort of predictions for the ocean and then just applying those to estuaries to fill that gap. Um, now we have a little bit much more of a clear idea of what's happening in estuaries. But by using the predictions for oceans, what we've been doing is experiments on how, especially oysters, because they're, you know, they're so important, one, for the environment, but also you know, as a food source. So looking at how they're affected. Um, and as you say, what we find is that temperature can affect um, the rate of their sort of en energetics and metabolism because they're, uh, I suppose you could use the word cold-blooded. I mean, that's not strictly accurate, but they can't regulate their own temperature. They're sort of at the mercy of their environment. So as the temperature goes up, their sort of metabolic processes go up, and that has a lot of flow-on effects for their growth and disease resistance. And then if we start talking about acidification, well, um, there's been a lot of research. And, I mean, if you look up ocean acidification, I'm not sure if you guys have talked about it on the show before. but Several um, times. There's a, yes. Yeah, there, there's a huge <laughs> amount of information about that. And we know that um, oysters and other shelled organisms can't build their shells as well under ocean acidification. But um, I don't want to get too bogged down in all the negativity because we've also been doing a lot of good research that shows these animals can adapt. And we can also use some... Um, like selective breeding and other sorts of sort of processes to speed up that process. And what we found is that by selecting for tolerant oysters, we can actually improve their response and get to a point where they're almost not negatively affected. So um, that, that sort of research is going on at the moment to try and help deal with these sort of issues that are going to come up. Which, I mean, oysters are perfect for selective breeding. They've been doing it for years for the aquaculture industry, for different traits and, um, you know, to help with the flesh quality and growth and all that sort of stuff as well. Look, I have a feeling we're going to have to get you on in future, which is something I've been saying to everyone I've been talking to lately, to talk about oysters. Particularly, there's been a lot of work being done in Victoria on uh, restoration of um, shellfish reef, which I know is happening yep. all around Australia. And so the implications of your work on that would be really interesting to, to discuss at some stage. We've got to move on, unfortunately. Thank you so much for your time today, Alit. Uh, I hope you get some sunshine at some stage today and enjoy yourself. And look, again, yeah. appreciate your time given the um, media frenzy and your um, discussions with China. Great. Thanks very much and um, great to be on the show. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. Elliot Skane's there. Amazing. That was way too quick, Brian. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot to talk about there. Uh, if you want to check out his research, there's a great article in The Guardian and also ABC did a really good one that sort of summarises some of the points out of that. But Let's um, let's treat this as a part one, as we did with your great noise segment of 2019. Oh, I'm big at bringing in parts. Excellent. Yes. We'll follow this one up with a part two. And uh, one thing we meant to mention at the start of the show, there's a really interesting article in another one in today's age um, about... Uh, one of those unintended consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic, our international fish markets have been instantly impacted. And what's about to happen this week is a sudden release of, uh, of sashimi-grade tuna, which normally would be just heading offshore, which cannot be heading offshore. And it's all suddenly going to become available on the domestic market. Wow. And I think when we had Jonathan Davey on a few weeks ago, he was talking about crayfish and a similar thing there where the, um, they're not able to export it. So we're sort of seeing the benefits, I guess, but it's also a bit of a 
highlight of the amazing resources we have at our doorstep that the world values more than we do. That's it. In, exactly. Anyway, you can read that article for yourself today. I'm sure you can find that one online. Uh, coming up to 9.30 and we're turning our attention now to a great program called Ocean Mind and its online equivalent drop-in, um, which is about to be run by Zoom. It was launched during the week by uh, Ocean Mind CEO and founder, Rachel Parker. Uh, Rachel is on the phone to tell us more about it now. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. How are you? Well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. This is a wonderful program. I wasn't aware of it until uh, I came across it during the week. Um, thanks for letting us know about it. Tell, talk us through Ocean Mind. What's Ocean Mind all about? Not a problem. Um, so Ocean Mind is a therapeutic surfing program um, that we run for young people experiencing mental health issues or challenges, um, social isolation or disabilities. Um, and the programs run in kind of three phases. So, you know, in phase one, we match, we, we get a group of young people referred through to the program. We match them one-to-one -one with a mentor. And so over the course of six weeks, they learn to surf, but they also create this really beautiful relationship with their mentor, um, giving them the confidence to go out to challenge themselves and to build up that self-esteem um, and also those skills around socialisation and that kind of thing. Um, once our six-week program's finished, the young people are then um, introduced to our surf club. So this is our phase two of our program, and it's that ongoing support um, for as long as they want it. So it's, a, it's an open space where the young people can come and come down to the beach every two weeks um, and get support, learn to surf, have some fun, and see their mentors and talk to, um, talk to their mentors about what's been going on in their lives. And then uh, we move into stage uh, into phase three, um, and that's when the young people have been with our program for um, for a while, at 10, 16, and they want to actually give back to the kids, the other kids in the program, and we can train them up as peer mentors. So that's really changing that narrative from being the kids that need some support to being able to support others, and it's really transformative for them. That's amazing. Now, this program normally, obviously, we're in a different time at the moment, but normally this program would operate out of Torquay. Yeah, that's correct. So we um, we run through the different a couple of different beaches um, along the surf coast, um, Torquay being one of them. Um, and we usually are supporting um, young people through sort of the usually the Geelong um, and Ballerine area. But we have had young people from Melbourne and further afield coming and and being supported by the program as well. Absolutely amazing. Now, obviously, we're in a different time at the moment, and there's been an alternative to uh, Ocean Mind. You know, this this current time is causing all sorts of um, innovative approaches to be thought through and and launched. And you've got this great new online program called Drop In launched this week. Can you tell us about Drop In? Yeah, so we were, um, when when we were um, advised not to meet with the kids at the beach and not to be able to support, like, not, not to be able to run the, the regular programs, um, we are a little bit bummed, but we are also really concerned um, for the welfare of the young people that we were supporting um, and just knew that they needed to kind of still have that connection. So um, the team worked really, really hard about how we were going to do that and what, what that environment was going to look like. Um, we did some consultations with the young people that we work with um, and asked them what they wanted um, support-wise from us. And, um, and we came up with this idea of a drop-in session. So, you know, playing on the words of surfing and all the kids can just kind of, we, every week we've got two two-hour sessions where they can come and just um, log into a Zoom session that's moderated by um, a, a team of youth workers and some volunteers and we run games, we do some education sessions, um, we're doing mental health support, we run some mindfulness and yoga sessions with them, um, you know, we do exercises to help them keep surf fit at home um, and it's really just making sure that they feel supported and they feel connected. Um, 
throughout this, um, this you know, these un unusual times that we're in at the moment. Um, we've even been lucky enough to um, get a couple of guest speakers that are going to come on and um, and talk to the kids. So we've got a, a local shaper, Dicko, who's going to do a masterclass on how to shape a surfboard. Um, and we've got one of our longboard legend um, champions around here, Molly Powell, who's going to come on and talk to um, talk to kids about, you know, how, how she got into longboarding and her surfing progression as well. So it's been... Um, it's been a bit tough to try to work out how to how to provide these services, but now that we're doing it, the kids are loving it and, and really are feeling that connection um, and that support, which has been the feedback we've got from them and the parents. Rachel, do people need to have been part of Ocean Mind to take part in drop-in or can you actually drop in to drop-in as a, as a new participant? <laughs> Um, at this stage, we're piloting it with the kids that we have a, a relationship with and a connection with. We just need to tease out sort of those pain points of, you know, moderating it, making sure that um, that it is a positive environment the whole time. And once we do that, there is potential to look at opening it up and inviting more young people um, to, to join in the, the program. Yeah, I'm sure that there are lots of people listening right now who would love to be part of that or have that opportunity. So mm. maybe the best thing to do from here is if you keep in touch with us and then, you know, when that comes up, when that is there is that opportunity for new people to become involved. I guess also looking forward to a time when we sort of move out of this phase and back into a new version of normal, uh, yeah. there'll, there'll be potentially lots and lots of kids who want to be part of Ocean Mind. So Keep in touch with us. It would be great to find out more about it. And do you have a website or somewhere where people can go for more information in the meantime? Yep. Yep, we have the website, which is oceanmind.org.au. We're also on Instagram and Facebook with Ocean Mind Inc. Um, and just if you Google Ocean Mind, we're usually the first one that comes up. Um, but, yeah, like we, we understand that as soon as we're able to get back out on the beach, we're going to be ramping up our programs. Um, there's going to be a lot of young people that are going to need support and like we're going to need connection it's really important and um and so yeah we're, we're looking at how do we support the community coming out of this as well yeah definitely and a lot of young people keen to get straight back into the water thanks so much for Indeed. joining us rachel and um wonderful stuff and good luck with the program as we move ahead and we look forward to catching up with you again soon all right beautiful thanks for that thank you bye for now Rachel, Rachel Parker there, Ocean Mind. What a wonderful program. Uh, it is 9.42. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 R. Now, have you ever thought about one might go about measuring a whale, you know, beyond the guesstimate that most of us probably make if we're lucky enough to see one? Well, Grace Russell has. She's measuring humpback whales as part of her PhD research at Southern Cross University. Why is she doing this and how has she done it? Let's cross over to Perth now and ask Grace Russell this very question. Good morning, Grace, and uh, welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, look, thanks so much for um, for joining us. And it's about 7.45 your time, I believe. Oh, yeah, nice and early on a Sunday morning. Excellent. Completely fine. So let's get to the why question. Why are you measuring humpback whales? Yeah, so um, it's important to know, like, um, their body condition because their body condition usually reflects the time that humpback whales have uh, on their foraging grounds and their foraging success. Uh, so determining um, things like uh, their body condition will be able to let us know how much time they can have on their breeding grounds and especially their body condition has a lot of uh, influence on how much energy a mother is able to give to her calf. So body condition also has, um, it may also help us predict future consequences of stresses in their environment like climate change and human activities. So measuring the whale will allow us to, will help us with these kind of things. Do you have a baseline at all? I'm guessing like, without the exception of maybe from 
whales have been captured, killed or washed up on a beach. Do you have any live measurements of anything on which to sort of work as a baseline? Yeah, definitely. So this study has been done um, before, but on smaller scales. So it's been done in South Australia with southern right whales, and it's also been done uh, in Augusta only for about a 10-day period um, on humpback whales. So we do have a baseline. It also has been done um, on blue whales in the northern hemisphere, and we do have that baseline of historical whaling measurements as well. So how much oil they have yielded from that body condition of that whale. So, Grace, do you have a key hypothesis with your research? What are you actually looking at specifically? What are you predicting? So I'm predicting, because I'm looking over the whole migration time, I'm actually predicting that um, those individuals that arrive in Australian waters first compared to those arriving a little bit later will be in poorer body condition. And this is based on the assumption that those arriving later have had more time on their feeding grounds. So they've had more time replenishing their energy reserves. I'm also looking at um, both the East and the West Coast populations. So I'm hypothesising that there'll be a difference um, in the relationship between the body condition and their migration on the east and the west. And this is because on the east they have significant feeding opportunities and that's usually um, observed in Eden in New South Wales, in Tasmania and in New Zealand. And what sorts of feeding opportunities are they? What, what are, what's particular about those three areas? Yeah, so uh, they have been known to be highly productive. So there's upwelling going on in those areas. So that's where uh, the cold water comes up to the surface and there's um, uh, like zooplankton and, and microplankton there that they can actually feed on. Whereas the rest of Australia, especially on the west coast, the Luang current comes down from Indonesia. So it's fairly warm water and it's nutrient poor. So there's not much feeding opportunities for them over here. I was wondering what it would be. What about um, environmental stresses, Grace? What sorts of differences might you anticipate on the east and the west coast? Obviously, east coast is going to be a lot more heavily populated um, by by we humans. Uh, is that going to be? Do you think that might be a factor? Yes, I do. Um, especially on uh, up in Queensland, there is um, a major port up near their main breeding grounds of the Great Barrier Reef, and that's going to become a major port for ships in and out um, over the next few years. And that's going to play a major impact, I think, on the stresses in their environment. But also on the West Coast, we have a lot of um, tourism that's absolutely booming at the moment. So how these things like um, oil and gas production, as well as tourism and um, shipping and human development on the coastline, how is that going to impact their stress in their breeding grounds, which is probably one of the most important environments for them. We know there's been a proposal for a, a gas processing plant, an oil and gas processing plant in the Exmouth Gulf, and that's a significant uh, potential threat for whales and, and migration. I imagine that you've got a whole bunch of people uh, involved in that that are going to be very interested in what your research has to tell them. For sure, and I think um, with a lot of these big companies that are doing these um, massive projects, they have a huge environmental department as well. So they'll definitely be interested in how this impacts, I guess, the environment as well as the species that inhabit that environment. Um, but uh, these stresses uh, now, especially oil and gas and tourism, have been around for quite a while. 
Um, and we actually have been seeing both populations of humpback whales. They're still increasing in numbers, so that's a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. How far, your, how far through your research are you, Grace? So I only started in October last year, so I'm fairly new, but um, hopefully this year. It was meant to be my whole data collection year, but now that's all been put on hold because of COVID-19. So hopefully later on in, in the year I can start actually collecting data and analysing these data. But um, we actually don't know if I'll be able to go out and collect it this year. So it might be next year in which is the, the big data collection. Well, look, let's stay in touch because we are extremely interested to find out what you what you managed to, to get from the data that you're collecting. Um, we should have mentioned earlier that we're uh, that the methods that you're using are using um, drones, which is quite interesting. But we'll we'll pick that up when we catch up with you next, I think, because I'm I'm interested just in the methodology. Uh, but let let's save that for when you're actually out there collecting your data, and we can look at some of the trends that maybe are starting to emerge. Yeah, definitely, for sure. All right. Thanks for speaking with us and good luck with um, with what comes in the months ahead. I'm sure being a PhD student, there's always loads and loads of stuff you can do. <laughs> Most definitely. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Grace. Speak with you soon. Bye for now. See you later. Bye. Bye. That was Spiderbait with the cover of the Goody Song Run from their album Shasha for Glava in 1993. Sounds as fresh as it ever was. Uh, and I think what we've actually just done is uh, managed to cut Jeff off because he was on that line, Kent, that you just hit. So what I might do is um, can we just play something briefly? I can give you a little bit of news while we're trying to get Jeff back on. So to follow up from the work in Venice with the um, conditions improving as a result of COVID and less people being out, there's also just been a recent article which is, I guess, theorising, as opposed to having evidence to prove it, that there may be a recovery of fish stocks um, as a result of COVID because particularly in Europe, a lot of the fisheries have actually shut down and they're not out at sea. And based on information that came in over World War I and World War II, the fish stocks were actually able to recover while there was less pressure on them, which sort of goes without saying. However, given the amount of timescale that this is going on, it's uncertain how big that bounce back will be, but there may be some potential good impacts from that. Now, I believe we have Jeff back on the line to join us to talk about the goodies. I believe we do. Jeff, are you there? Yes, I am here. Yeah, good to have you with us. Sorry, had a little technical, uh, technical um, gremlin popping into the studio, but we got you back. Don't know what happened. Okay, thank you, Bron. Um, normally, I've been doing 1950s uh, movies with sea monsters and things. Um, you emailed me earlier in the week and said someone called Tim Brooks Taylor had passed away very sadly from coronavirus, and that I was to do a show called The Goodies this week. Um, <laughs> You'd never I, heard of it? <laughs> I had, oh, well, I'd, I'd actually heard of it. I, I must admit, I had heard of it, but I'd never watched an episode. And so, uh, out of a sense of beauty, I sat through some episodes, Bron. Um, that's kind of the state that I'm probably in with the lockdown at the moment. I actually sat at, at 70s British uh, TV humour uh, in the same vein as things like Dad Army and On the Buses. Uh, slightly <laughs> plastic. Uh, lots of, a fair bit of sort of like toilet humour. I remember my dad had one of those big padded recliner leather chairs and he used to kick back in there and watch things like Police Academy movies and laugh like anything. And I'd look at them, oh, this is just 
really. You know, I'd have to listen. Anyway, I, I did watch a couple of episodes from. I found one where um, uh, the goodies, they get stuck in a lighthouse having to self-isolate. And actually, Brian, something good came out of this. Um, I've learned a really great lesson how we can all survive the lockdown from the goodies. Right. But anyway, first, first of all, uh, I'll get to that in a minute. First of all, they have to go and I, I just need to say before we play the first track, number two is 70s British TV humour code for who. <laughs> um, can we play the first track with the goodies having to sort of arrive at their life out, please? Oh, come on, hurry up! Dear, dear, honestly, what a rotten, blasted, lousy job I hate it! I'm sorry, look, I admit it's my fault. I just misread the advert, that's all. I thought it said a little light housekeeping. Oh, yeah, that's craziness. And now we're stuck out here, 25 miles offshore, for five years in an overgrown lamppost. <laughs> just calm down and think of it as a nice five-year holiday. A holiday? Yeah, holiday. So, get to work. Well, Bill, on a lighthouse, you've got to have discipline, so I hereby designate myself number one. And the pair of you are number twos. <laughs> Um, who, who doesn't love a bit of toilet humour from the 1970s? Oh, look, it, it, let's not go there. Um, anyway, we've got three high-energy people stuck in a tight space, and, of course, they're going a little nutty. I think we all are at the moment. I must admit, my, my online guitar lessons have been an absolute disaster. Um, anyway, we've got high-energy people stuck in a lighthouse, and um, they're, they're basically going around in circles. So let's have a listen to the second track. Will you please stop just going round in circles? Well, there's not much else to do in a lighthouse, is there, mate? You know, I mean, everything's round in a lighthouse. Look at it, the room, carpet, chairs, window, it's all round. I can't stand it much longer. Five years! I mean, you have five minutes and I've had enough. It's round, it's round, it's round, it's round, it's all round. Well, put on a nice record, then. It's round! <laughs> all right, here's your supper and stop moaning. Look at this, the plate, around! But Brian, I've I found a great way to, for all of us to survive this. And um, you'll, you'll hear it in this, the third and the final track from the goodies when they're all going nutty in the lighthouse. Just have a listen and see if you can uh, see if you can hear what the answer to all of us surviving the lockdown is. Curiously worse, thanks to you've gone loody, you've gone loody. Well, it's not very surprising, is it? You know, strange things happen to men when they're cut off. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at this. Perhaps this will cheer us up a bit. The bumper book of sea shanties for lively lighthouse keepers. Oh, a good sing-song. That's what we need. Let's have a look. Uh, come on, give it a whirl. Should be fun, eh? All right. All the winds they do blow and the seas they do roar When you stuck on a lighthouse ten miles from the shore Sea shanties. No. 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 What did I miss? Strange things with me. I knew we were going to say that. No, it's the laugh track in the background. What we all need, Brian, <laughs> is the laugh track. Now, I've got this, now I'll, let me explain how it works. Brian, I don't know if this is going to work. I've got it here, but just say something normal. Uh, Ask me a question. Uh, uh, what have you got planned for today? 
Oh, that's easy for you to say, Bron. What you do is you download a laugh track app on your phone and as you go throughout the day going nuts and getting angry at the dogs, just play the laugh track and everything works. Say something again, Bron. Uh, Coming up to the end of our program and shortly radiotherapy. (laughs) (laughs) And really, try this, really, get it. And when you watch, like, Donald Trump's daily briefing and he's <laughs> just keep pressing your laugh track. It puts perspective on the whole world. It all just works. It really does. Well, so, you've, like, you've already changed the colour of my day, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Yes, sorry. Got a key up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do exactly that, Jeff. I think that's really great advice. <laughs> I think I think it's time for you to go now. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jeff. We'll catch you next time. Ron, please don't, don't make me watch goodies again. Oh, but there are two other episodes that have um, sea themes that we were hoping that you might do for us. I'm far more comfortable with giant crab monsters and things like that <laughs> from the 1940s. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. We'll catch you soon. Jeff Maynard. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.